Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Hey, welcome into it. What's up? Happy Saturday morning to you. Another weekend. Another week down. Another great weekend on board. Let's have some fun today. What do you say? Welcome in. It's Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker. 1480 on the AM dial. We are on 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial. Also, our friends out in Garden City, Kansas at 1240 KIUL. What's up? Happy morning to you. Happy Saturday. Let's get this ball rolling. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to jump into the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines, we have a show lined up for you today. Holy cow. We have a lot to recap from this week. And we have our big, we do this every single year, as you know, we do our big legislative recap 2023 what happened in the state legislature this year this is the big one in studio in hour number two we have speaker of the house dan hawkins and we have senate president ty masterson hanging out with us today so the two main leaders in both chambers of our legislature will be in studio with us for the entire 10 o'clock hour we'll talk about the entire legislative session we'll touch on numerous different issues so i open up the lines to you right now on while they're in studio what do you want me to ask them what topical issue was concerned to you in the legislative session this year what do you want us to focus on we'll obviously talk about the flat tax bill our state budget education spending the esg issues Yes, I will bring up the marijuana issue as well. We'll touch on that a little bit. The Women's Bill of Rights. The Women's Sports Bill. Um, trying to think of whatever else we have. There's a lot of stuff going on, obviously. Uh, the Eddie Eagle program and a heck of a lot more. So we'll get on, into all that and uh, more coming up in hour number two of the program. Until then, this hour is open lines to you at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. There are a few things that I definitely want to touch on this hour. Uh, In just a little bit, there are some potential concerns about our state Republican Party and some of the agenda that they're trying to promote, the changes that they're doing internally within the Republican Party. Now, for the average voter that is not involved in the county party or in the state party, is not a delegate, you're just a registered voter as a Republican. If you are... One of those, this may not affect you a whole lot, but it could be affecting the state of the Republican Party in Kansas and how we operate as a state Republican Party and um, our vision of what the party looks like moving down the road in the future. So I want to get to that in a little bit because I think you do need to be aware and I think you do need to pay attention to how your party that you openly choose to register as within the party to try and have a louder voice, to have money to have influence, to have some sort of say in the political system through a political party that has that ability to do so with your blessing because you openly choose to do so, uh, how are they actually functioning at a statewide level? So we'll get into that here in just a little bit as well. Outside of that, obviously this week was a major week of issues going on at the federal level. On Friday, the ending of Title 42, it's officially here. We're just a couple days into it now. How are we looking at the southern border? We'll play some audio from that, get your thoughts there. Uh, What do we do from here? 
Now that Title 42 is over, we default back to the enforcement of Title 8 on immigration policy, which Title 8 essentially means that if you get caught coming across our border illegally, then the way they come after you is they slap a $50 fine on you and set a court date for a year or two down the road, and then you go off about your business. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of the Department of Homeland Security, the guy that's supposed to keep the country safe, said that there were so many people at the southern border that they have whittled down their uh, their investigative process to a two-minute interview. Imagine, if you will, with the tens of thousands of individuals sitting at the border and with us trying to decide whether you are healthy and you need to do a health screening to be able to come into the country whether you are a potential danger to the United States, whether you're actually a refugee, whether you're actually an asylum seeker, or whether you actually have the bracelet on that shows how much money you owe the cartel to come into the country because you're doing bids for the cartels, uh, we don't know. And a two-minute interview is what Alejandro Mayorkas has come down to. So therefore, they're not coming in illegally. We've now just opened up the process to where all they have to do is look at you. They talk to you. Are you an asylum seeker? Yeah. Are you a refugee? Yes, I am. All right, cool. Here you go. Here's your ticket for the bus pass. Here's your ticket for your social programs. Here's your ticket for your housing. Here's the bus that you get on. And we're going to go ahead and send you out and about into the country wherever we deem that we need to send you now in the tens of thousands based on a two-minute interview. And I asked the question yesterday on the program with our Voice of Reason show. I asked uh, for the other side of the aisle. I'm very curious on even if you do support the concept of open borders, can you properly vet somebody in a two-minute interview? And the reason they have it down that much is because they can't handle any more. They are cramming through so many individuals so quickly that they don't have time. They're already overrun at all of their checkpoints. They're already overrun in all of their... Uh, um, facilities down there that hold individuals. So instead of holding them for longer periods of time, they have to let them go. All right, here's your court date. Hopefully you show up. If not, we'll try and track you down in a couple years down the road when we have law enforcement resources available in order to do so. It's a very weird situation. But technically, according to the Biden administration now and Alejandro Mayorkas, they're not illegally walking into the country. We just don't know anything about them because we've signed off on them based on our two-minute interview and stamp of approval from the federal government in the United States of America. Interesting concept. So your thoughts on that? Also, we have the big CNN town hall that happened a couple of days ago, if you want to chime in on that as well. The state of Donald Trump, the state of CNN, the mainstream media, and a heck of a lot more. So whew, take a breath, my friends, because it was one heck of a week, and let's uh, kind of Cram it down, and let's break it down a little bit here on the program at 316-721-8255. U.S. Senator Roger Marshall, our very own senator from the great state of Kansas, was down at the border on Thursday evening and Friday as Title 42 was ending, holding a press conference with Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, and had a lot to say about what was going on down there at the border. You know, as a physician, I took an oath to heal the sick. And I certainly want us to do our part. But then as an officer in the military, as a... Now, as a senator, I've taken an oath to defend this country and to make sure she's safe. Right now, the number one most immediate threat to our national security is this open border. And that's why I've called on the House to impeach Secretary Mayorkas. He's derelict in his duties. I'm calling on Joe Biden to come see this problem for for himself. We can solve this problem. And I want to bring uh, Brandon back up here one second. Brandon, if you could tell Joe Biden there's one thing that we need to do 
Do you need more troops? Do you need more more t technology? What do you need to do for us to secure this border? The American public should not shoulder this burden. We do not need more resources. We don't need no more, more technology. We don't need more infrastructure. We have to have policy. We have to go back to the rule of law. If we have policy, we can secure the border tomorrow. He won't give it to us. There it is. Border Patrol agents frustrated, overwhelmed, beyond belief. The Biden administration says they sent uh, 1,500 troops down there. They have close to 15,000 troops down there, not stopping individuals from coming across the border, just trying to keep them in an orderly fashion as they do their two-minute screenings and interviews and getting them into the country as quickly as possible from hundreds of different countries, hundreds of different backgrounds from all over the world, just walking right across the border through our checkpoints, and we're giving that stamp of approval. Kind of a crazy system. What's the future of the country look like? I said on the programs uh, really for the last few weeks that what we do over the next two weeks right now will be the make-or-breaking point for the country, will fundamentally change the United States of America in a positive or negative way depending on how we react to these issues on immigration with the ending of Title 42 and with the debt ceiling debate that's coming up by the deadline of June 1st. The weird part to me is the fact that we have Title 42 that was only created under the Trump administration during the COVID-19 pandemic, making sure that people weren't coming across the border spreading viruses and illnesses while you were stuck at home behind your front door and you can't walk outside because all of a sudden you were going to kill somebody else with the virus or something. Um, that's what was holding back the mass surge of immigrants. <laughs> We've had this issue for how many years? How many hundreds of years have we been a nation? How many years have we started putting immigration policy in effect and yet we still don't have proper law to fall back onto to make sure that this didn't happen? That's the issue that we have. Republicans did pass out of the House of Representatives H.R. 2 trying to close a lot of those loopholes, which is awesome. But why now when Democrats in the Senate won't pick it up, the Democrat president won't sign it? Why now when they knew it was going to be dead on arrival? Why now instead of a time when we had the presidency and two chambers of Congress to actually make some substantial changes in our immigration policy? Last to cover this morning, 316-721-8255. Let's go to the phones here, shall we? Line, uh, we can talk about this in a heck of a lot more. It's really up to you. Open lines for the first hour, but uh, kind of the hot topical flavors of this week. Let's go to it. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? This is Frederick. Frederick, how are you, my friend? I'm just fine. Um, I have a the one big question is um, this Biden character, he has done everything possible to weaken America, and he has done everything possible to destroy America. How is it possible that one man, his family receives millions of dollars from our enemy, he permitted a enemy spy balloon to hover over our military installations? Was that part of the million dollars that he received that he wouldn't say anything? And another thing is that he has also opened the borders to the South. Now, the biggest question is, okay, you're going to let all these millions of people in from the South. Okay, it's going to be fine that they step foot in the United States. Then what happens? Are we, are we going to supposedly take care of them? Are they going to go out and find jobs? Do they have any skills? I mean, we have enough poverty in this country that we do not need to import poverty. Yeah. Now, this is nothing against the Mexican people, because I think they're just fine people. 
I mean, I have no problem with the Mexican people, but I do have a problem when they come in over the over the border, and then what happens? I mean, we have enough homeless people in this country, and especially in Wichita, that we don't need any more homeless people. Well, it's going to be far worse than just homelessness. Here's what I will say is that the vast majority, if any at all, aren't even Mexican. They're not from Mexico coming over here. They're from Central America. They're from South America. They're from Africa. They're from the Middle East. We've seen over 100 different nationalities, 120, 130 different nationalities that have been trying to cross the border. They're not Mexicans that are actually coming over here. So this entire argument from the other side saying that, you know, Republicans, the white supremacists on the Republican side just hate brown people coming in, that's not the case at all in any way, shape, or form. Uh, They are... Uh, from Central America, they're from other places, and this is going to be way worse than just homelessness because you're right, they're coming in. The, the proper vetting process for an immigrant to come in would to say, hey, all right, you're coming here for a purpose. What are you coming here for? Are you coming here for a work visa? Are you coming here for a student visa? Or, you know what, yes, we do take in some refugees and asylum seekers, but when we do that, we also have programs in place for them to learn how to assimilate to society like you said, how to be able to get a job so they can participate in society. We're not doing that when we're doing a two-minute vetting process by them signing up on an app while standing at the wall so we can check them in, look at them for two minutes, make sure that they're okay, and then send them on their way. What they're going to do is they're bringing in massive influence to the cartels. Uh, Ted Cruz goes on to say, we'll play the audio here in a little bit, of the different colored bracelets that individuals are wearing coming in, and the the bracelets are representing the thousands of dollars that they owe to the cartels to allow them to come into the country. What does that mean? Is that we're not only going to see homelessness, but when these individuals are unable to pay back the cartels, we're going to see more violence in the streets with cartels coming in and shooting them up in our communities because now we're bringing the cartels here and allowing them to have influence based on people that have come in under their purview. So now we're going to see more violence in the streets, and then it's going to turn into what? A gun conversation because of all the violence that we're seeing, the shootouts that we're seeing in the middle of the streets and downtown areas, and it's all going to be about guns. That's going to lead back to more gun policy as opposed to, hey, there's violent criminals and cartels that are in our streets because of who we let actually come in through the southern border. So this is a major issue all across the board. You know, Andy, when I was in the Marine Corps and I stood guard duty and I had the responsibility of allowing people onto the base or not onto the base, um, I had to check them out. And if they weren't legitimate, they didn't get in. But And if I did let them in, I would be in serious trouble. Now we have President, this Biden joke boy, uh, allowing all these people to come into the United States. Plus, like I said, he allowed our enemies to fly a balloon over the United States. I think that uh, I think he's earning his millions of dollars. And but to do, and I've often thought, okay, Biden, you're getting millions of dollars, and I don't know what for. And I'm I have a big question: was it to to allow people to do what they wanted to do? Our enemies. Yeah. Now, you're so damn old, are you going to live long enough to spend it? No. You know. Yeah, he didn't he doesn't know what he's doing. You're right. And and yeah, I mean, and he got caught. That's why he started shooting down everything else in the sky after the Chinese balloon. They wouldn't shoot that one down. They had to wait till the mission was done to shoot it down over the sea so that way they could go collect it and then return it to China when China requested us to return it back to them. 
But after that, because that wasn't supposed to be caught and wasn't supposed to be made public for people to know about it, he had to do something else. So therefore, any other unidentified object, quote unquote, that was in the sky that included like children's drones that were flying around, the uh, Air Force had to go out and shoot down because they didn't know what it was to show that they were trying to do something for national security. But the, the deed was already done. They already got their information they wanted to from China. So you're right. He, in a single administration, not even in a full four-year term, has reversed everything the Trump administration has done and led us down this road of such destruction with crimes in the streets, with no actual regulations on punishments of individuals uh, uh, that are going to jail, with the turnaround rate of uh, crime rates that are out of control, the economy is completely trashed. The southern border that's in complete chaos right now in shambles. The cartels that are gaining influence left and right across the nation. The uh, Chinese and the foreign agents that are coming out and wanting to destroy America. He's allowing it all to happen, and he's done it in record time. It's If it wasn't so bad, it'd be honestly kind of impressive on how much he's actually gotten done during the first three years. Well, it's like this... Uh when I grew up, I loved my country. I still love my country with all of my heart. And damn it, I'll pick up my rifle and I'll go out and I'll defend it. But yeah. you have a president that doesn't give, a, doesn't care about protecting this country. How in the hell can he even be president? <laughs> I know it. I'm right there with you. Okay. I'm right there with you, Frederick. I, I appreciate it. We got to take a break here, but you're right. We're we're in some troubling times. Now, you know me, I'm the eternal optimist. We always find a way and a solution. We always find a way to fill that void and fix issues, but it's going to be a hard road for us. We just have to wake up and recognize it, which I think a lot of people are, because even the other side of the aisle starting to realize, wait a second, I'm for open borders. We're here to take care of people. We want to be the humanitarian country, but when you're allowing people to come in that are being human trafficked with bracelets on that are being owned by the cartels, you're not taking care of them. You're literally going against your entire agenda of bringing humanity and saving people from bad situations. You're making it worse, and you're bringing that here, and I think they're starting to realize that. So, Frederick, got to take a break. Appreciate it, my friend. Have a wonderful weekend, and... Uh, Always a pleasure. Let's take a break here real quick. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. It's Kansas Talk on Saturday morning. Let's get things going. Kick off your brand new weekend. It's going to be a great one. Beautiful, nice, warm weather, but not overly hot today. I'm down with that. Let's do this thing. It's KQAM. Stay here. minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM out of Wichita, Kansas. Also broadcasting out in KIUL in Garden City, Kansas as well. Waking up your Saturday morning here. Interesting conversation. Definitely some concerns that we'll continue to focus on as things progress. How we stop this now is up to, I think, a lot of the states, the southern border states that are like, hey, uh, we're just going to take matters into our own hands because we can't continue on the path that we've been going down. And the federal government's obviously not going to fix anything since they say that they're not, quote unquote, illegally coming in 
by just legalizing everybody that walks through the border without actually vetting them properly. I mean, again, uh, back during the Ellis Island times coming through uh, New York and the Europeans, we had, quote-unquote, open borders at that time, but we had a rigorous process to vet to make sure that you didn't have any issues, medical issues, that you were actually going to be a benefit to society, that you actually had family, that you actually had work lined up, that you uh, were going to knew exactly, you weren't going to be just a uh, leech on the government system. We had that, pro- and if not, they had no problem putting you back on the boat and sending you back the other direction. We need to have that kind of. Pro- Let's just go back to that. Let's just go back to that open border. Come on in here. We'll do a vetting for you, but we're going to make sure that you're not going to spread a disease and you're not going to be a succubus to society. Then if you're not, welcome aboard. We're the most generous nation on the face of the earth. Let's continue to be that way. And we are. This isn't generosity. This is insanity. When we come back, I want to shift gears. I want to get back to some local issues here, some statewide issues, some challenges in the state Republican Party. Where are we going and what does the future of the state party look like? And will we be set and prepared and strong for the 2024 elections across the state and federally? All that and more coming up on Kansas Talk. Stay here. Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Thirty-five minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Also, hat tip to Garden City, Kansas on KIUL, the news talker out there. Appreciate you guys in Western Kansas covering from east to west. The entire southern half of the state of Kansas. So welcome in. We love you. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. If you want to jump in, there's a lot of topics, obviously, to talk about. But I want to bring some things back down to the local level here, which, uh, or at least to the statewide level, which, as a reminder, top of the hour and hour number two, we have a big hour lined up for you as we do this every year after the legislative session of the year where we have the leaders come in from both chambers to talk about what happened, good and bad. So in studio for hour number two, we will have Speaker of the House Dan Hawkins from District Number 100 here in the Wichita area, and we will have Senate President Ty Masterson from the El Dorado area. And both of them will be in studio for the entire hour. If you have a particular issue or flavor you'd like to ask them, you're more than welcome to call now and let me know. I'm making my list of what we're going to talk about coming up in Hour number two with the two guests in studio. So uh, if you have something in particular you want to be addressed regarding the session, then let me know. But uh, Or you can call during that hour as well. But uh, they will be in studio for hour number two for our official legislative recap of 2023. Always looking forward to that. We always do that at the end of the session and get them in studio together, which I love because uh, coming with different bills out of different chambers is really interesting to see how we are able to mesh together and bring the, for the most part, conservative Republican agenda in the state of Kansas. 316-721-8255. On that front, I want to shift gears, though, and talk about the state of the Republican Party as well. As you know, the election of 2024 is going to be, as Donald Trump says, bigly and huge. We need to be prepared for it, and we need to have a strong party. We need to get the outreach to get voters out and make sure they turn out to vote in the state of Kansas especially. Andy, it's not that big of a state. Well, it is, not just for the presidential election, 
but also for our elected officials here in Kansas, our congressional leaders in the Senate and in the House, our state legislative leaders, uh, even our local ones. We have local races coming up this year already as well with mayors and city councils and school board members. These are going to be very important elections for us. And I know that it's an off season, so people don't sometimes focus on them quite as much. Voter turnout's anywhere between like 15 to 20 percent usually in an off-season election which is really pathetic and sad but that's just the reality of it we have to remind individuals that hey elections are still going on but how influential to you as a voter maybe not someone who is a delegate or an alternate delegate maybe someone who's not an elected official member of the republican party at a county level or a statewide level but is the average Joe Schmo, uh, to use that term, I guess, the average registered Republican voter in the state who goes to work every day, who tries to put food on the table for their family, and then shows up to vote because they're a registered Republican. How much does the state Republican Party matter to you and the decisions that they make? And how influential are they on the policymaking in the state of Kansas? And the reason I bring this up is because you may have seen the headlines and the news stories from the last couple of days, but the state Republican Party itself is looking to change the way that they operate internally. Now, yesterday, and i got to give credit, I uh, thank you to the Wichita Packardroom Club. I had a great honor speaking there yesterday with uh, John Whitmer, the other talk show host in town as well, over on KNSS. Uh, we got to do that. We do it about once or twice a year and go and talk about issues, legislative recap and other issues as well. And uh, I love, absolutely love the Wichita Packardroom Club. You guys are amazing. It was great. It was so much fun. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and speak again. We talked about this issue briefly. And, but it's a major issue. But during the event, I, I said that the Republican Party, while they may make decisions good or bad, at the end of the day, you, the registered voter, you, the one that turns out to vote every day, you are the face of the party. Because you choose our elected officials. You choose who's going to, quote unquote, represent us in government at a local level, a statewide level, even a federal level. You choose what's going to happen with the party. The party itself is really there to try and fundraise and get individuals elected. That's all their duty is, is to set the tone for the Republican Party, which is why we choose to register as a member of that party, because we like the ideas that they're promoting. If we didn't like the ideas that they're promoting, we wouldn't register as a Republican. Their goal is to set that tone and to fight for those values and do that by getting individuals elected. That's it. Now, there are some members of the Rules Committee at the statewide level looking to change the rules by getting rid of elected officials, including the U.S. senators, the three members of Congress, and statewide office holders, removing them from committees within the party. What they're also proposing is getting rid of those that are the heads of the Hispanic Republican group, the black Republican group, the women's Republican group, getting rid of all of these individuals off of the committees. Now, optics-wise, and the media loves this because the media is just relishing the fact that Republicans are trying to do vast, uh, vast changes right now. Optics-wise, it looks like we're ridding ourselves from any minority, quote-unquote, group from different committees and as uh, people who have voices within the state Republican Party on certain committees. Because we're removing them if you're part of the black Republicans, part of the Hispanic Republicans, part of the uh, Women Republican United or any other Republican group that's uh, women across the state, then you're not going to be on these committees any longer. And their purpose, from what they say according to the news articles, 
is that they don't want the quote-unquote elitist leaders to run the committees. They want you, the voter, to be part of these committees and that they weren't elected onto those committees, being the elected officials or the heads of these different organizations. So therefore, they shouldn't have a seat within the committees at the statewide Republican Party level. But I'm here to tell you that that's, at least in my opinion, from the way I understand it, maybe I'm completely off base here, but the way I'm understanding this issue is that this is one of the dumbest moves that we could make as a Republican Party. Number one, why are we going through this overhaul within internally within the Republican Party at a statewide level? Most voters, 98% of the registered Republican voters in the state of Kansas, do not give a rip about what's going on within the state Republican leadership of the party itself. They want good candidates that are running on ballots in their local areas. They want to fight for limited government conservative policies with elected officials, and they want the ability to go and vote in a very simple, easy manner. That's all you care about. Now, with that being said, I will also say that the quote-unquote minorities in the, in the state of Kansas are huge in expanding the Republican base. And I said this many times before. As you know, our, our sister station, La Raza 102.5, our Spanish radio station, uh, is uh, obviously appealing to the Hispanic demographic. And I will tell you that talking with the Hispanic community being the operations manager of that radio station, talking to my program director, talking to members of that community. They are hugely conservative, but do not vote Republican because Republicans do not ever come out to talk to them or talk about the party or talk about policy or reach out to the community. So they don't know what to do. Congressman Ron Estes, our congressman here in the 4th District, kudos to him, in the last election, ended up running ads on La Raza, reaching out to the community in Spanish and talking about Spanish voters that are voting for Ron Estes. And you will not believe internally from what I see behind the scenes here at the radio station, you will not believe the number of phone calls that that station received from Hispanic listeners in the Wichita area that said, oh my gosh, thank you for a Republican actually reaching out to us. Thank you for a Republican actually coming out and trying to extend an olive branch to us and reaching out to our community. We've never heard a Republican speak to us before. This is amazing. You can't believe the number of phone calls that we received as a company and from that station when Congressman Ron Estes ran that ad. Now, if that's the if that's not the intent here of trying to remove these Hispanic Republican groups, black Republican groups, or women Republican groups from these committees at the statewide level, I understand what you're trying to do, but you have to remember what you're falling into the narrative, at least in my opinion here, you're falling into the narrative that we are a democracy and not a constitutional representative government. We're not a democracy. And this mindset of getting rid of the elected officials and getting rid of the heads of these organizations from these committees at the statewide level within the Republican Party is a mindset of democracy to where you think that just any individual is going to just step up and just be part of these committees. And maybe some want to. And if that's the case, that's awesome. But there's a reason why we chose certain elected officials to be elected officials under the Republican Party. And if that's the case, we've already elected them to represent us in some way, shape, or form in the party. They should have a seat within the Republican Party to help set policy and agendas and the platform for the Republican Party because of that. If someone is the chairperson of the women's Republican group or the black Republican group or the Hispanic Republican group, the reason they're the chair of that organization under the umbrella of the Republican Party is because the members of that organization voted them to do so, representing 
the black community, trying to get more black members of the community to register as Republicans, to run as Republicans, and to vote as Republicans. If they elected someone to be the chair of the Hispanic Republican group, that's their representation, is to represent that community of Republicans to bring them under the Republican umbrella, which Republicans have been horrible at in the past, bringing in different groups that predominantly vote Democrat nationwide. Why would we remove them from committees at the statewide level? That doesn't make any sense to me. Why would we do that? Even if that's not your intent because you want it to be more fair and equal for more um, representation at committees, this just causes ruckus in the party when the whole purpose of the party is to strengthen ourselves in an off-election season to get ready for a major battle, one of the biggest battles that we'll ever have with elections going into next year. Why rock the boat today by cleaning house and just changing up the entire makeup of our statewide Republican Party when the vast majority of Republican voters don't care. They just want good Republican candidates across the board. And the only way Republicans will continue to win statewide is if we bring in the black voters that have conservative mindsets but have never talked to a Republican because we've never reached out to their community. To a Hispanic voter that uh, that is here that has our values that are predominantly religious or Catholic, that believe in uh, pro-life issues that want the government to stay out of their life, that want to be able to have lower taxes and keep their money. Why are we not reaching out to these communities and winning them over saying, hey, let's fight back the cartels? The reason you came here in the first place was to get away from that stuff. Why would you support a policy in a party that's continuously allowing that to come into the nation as well? They are on our side. We just have to reach out. And this, whether intentional or ill-intentional, is going to damage that reputation of Republicans reaching out across the board. And I think it's unnecessary. I think it's completely absurd. And I think we're doing more harm than we are good. What the hell are we doing as a Republican Party in the state of Kansas? Your thoughts, 316-721-8255. Maybe I'm off base here. Maybe you like the idea. Maybe you don't want the quote-unquote establishment to represent in our committees at the statewide level. But we don't have super delegates like Democrats do. It's not like they're taking over the party. But... We have a representative government. We also have representation in our party based on the constitutional voting system that we have to have people represent us in certain areas or certain demographics or certain committees or certain organizations. We voted to have them represent us. And if we don't like that system, then are we kind of playing into the whole like we're a democracy, so therefore everybody needs to vote on everything mentality and that, to me, is just a little bit silly and going to be harming the party overall. Let's go to the phones here, shall we? Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, fight the power, Andy. Fight the power. There we are. What's your thoughts, Sean? Well, you know, Andy, um, I'm a little ticked off with the, with the Republicans in the legislature because, you know, they got these super majorities, but they can't seem to get some really good stuff done that I'd like to see get done. <laughs> like, uh, you know, a flat tax. Yeah. We'll raise more money off a of flat tax. And you'd have less people. Well, you wouldn't be able to even cheat on your taxes with a flat tax. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, they passed a flat tax and uh, outlaw abortion uh, in the state of Kansas. And, um, I'll have a much higher uh, opinion of them, much, well, uh, much 
You'll enjoy right. this one, Sean. You'll enjoy this one. We passed the flat tax. We got it to the governor. The governor vetoed the flat tax. We overrode the governor's veto in the House of Representatives. We got it to the state Senate, and we failed to override the governor's veto in the Senate by one vote, one singular vote. And that one singular vote was a guy who calls himself a wild, wicked, radical conservative, Mr. Dennis Pyle, who is also the independent governor's candidate that took the 1.5% of votes away from Derek Schmidt, because while he calls himself a purist conservative, he doesn't like to work well with the Republican Party. And while he supported the flat tax bill coming out originally, voted against it to spite the Republican Party because it didn't go as far the way that he wanted to, and it was a personal vendetta. So his one vote against it was what cut it and killed it after he supported it originally. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. You know, uh, you get a you get a Republican up there who claims to be a Republican, and he's not really a Republican. He's a turd. Yeah. He or she. Yeah. And winds up screwing us, everybody over. I know. Because of I, you know, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. This is why I done did it. I done made the decision okay. to secede from the union. I'm seceding from the union. You're seceding so from the union. All right. Well, you know what? You can for life now. You know what? If you secede from the union, all the power to you, my friend. That's going to be a t- <laughs> tough one, but you go for it. I love it, Sean. I appreciate. It. I got to get. In, I want to sneak in one more phone call before we take a break and wrap this up here. But uh, uh, you know what? That is a bold statement. Fight the power, my friend. Fight the power. Let's go to line number two here. Good morning. Who's this? Good morning, Andy. It's Nick. Nick, what's going on, brother? How we doing? I'm doing well, thank you, thank you. Um, I struggle with this one. Uh, first, I thought, what in the world's going on? And then I was like, well, maybe he's just trying to get rid of some of the bureaucracy and stuff. I, I don't know, because I'm not part of any of these uh, groups. Sure. Um, and, and as far as I know, you don't necessarily have to be colored or Hispanic to join them. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know the requirements and everything like that, but you, you get into the argument of maybe some identity politics and maybe the thinking is trying to get back to the basics like you know we talk about with with other things but i also see your point of saying right now maybe this isn't the best time to do this all of a sudden just big surprise boom 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 but i see i I see the optics uh, of both sides and then as a uh you know i guess you could talk to uh hawkins and masterson about cannabis I, i know exactly what they'll say probably but uh if you if you want to give it a shot, you can throw them some softballs. But uh, God bless you, Andy, and you have a good day, okay? Always a pleasure. I got it on the list. I, I'm already prepared for you, my friend. <laughs> already ready to go, and we'll, uh, we'll definitely touch on it. So, Nick, I appreciate that very much. Interesting conversation. Your thoughts, the party changing internally right now. Uh, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Our whole goal this year is to strengthen the party to get ready for a major war next year in 2024 at the federal and at the statewide level. Is this going to help that strengthen it or hurt it? We'll do that when we come back. Uh, Last couple minutes here with your thoughts. Hour number two, man. Legislative session, 2023 recap. The big kahunas in studio. We're getting all ready for that one. We'll have some fun in hour number two. got a lot of issues we're going to address for the hour uh, coming up. If you want to call in, you can at 316-721-8255. It's Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker. KQAM, stay here.
Welcome back into uh, all right, wrapping up hour number one. We covered a lot of ground this hour. We'll cover some more in hour number two. We'll get back to as well some of the other issues nationally. We had the CNN town hall with Donald Trump. Did that help or hurt CNN and or Donald Trump? That was pretty interesting. Also, we have the ending of Title 42. We're now two days into it with the ending of Title 42. How is things handing out down there? Our two-minute evaluation of individuals at the border and saying, yeah, here you go. Here's your bus ticket. Here's your housing. Here's your food. Here's everything you need. Two-minute evaluation to make sure that they're healthy and they don't have any ill intent coming into the country and they're not being tied to cartels or any other human trafficking issues at all. No, no. You can totally tell that in a two-minute interview. It's the way we roll, right? The insanity continues. When we come back, though, our big end-of-the-year legislative session recap 2023. Speaker of the House Dan Hawkins, Senate President Ty Masterson, both of them going to be in studio for hour number two. Open lines to you. If you have any questions, we'll touch on uh, as many of the topical issues from the legislative session that we can. How did we fare compared to the last couple of years? Are we prepared for 2024? And how well was it working with the middle-of-the-road nonpartisan, willing to work across the aisle, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly. We'll do all that and more coming up in hour number two. It's Kansas Talk right here on KQAM. Our friends out in KIUL and Garden City, Kansas, picking us up as well. Love you guys out there in western Kansas. Let's do this thing in hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on KQAM. Stay here. Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Hey, darn right it is. Welcome into Kansas Talk. It's our number two, Wichita's number one conservative talk radio program. Killing it for years, man. We bounced all over the place. Middays, morning shows. Now we have our afternoon show that's on seven radio stations, our local station here, our local show on Kansas Talk right here, Saturday mornings, 9 to 11, here on KQAM 1480 on the AM dial, plus 99.7 FM HD4. If you have your special super smart HD radio, you can tune us into HD4 on that 99.7. If you go to regular 99.7, you're just going to hear Hank FM on our classic uh, classic country, which is awesome as well, but not the politics that you're looking for, and I know you want that. Also, our friends out at KIUL, 1240 on the AM dial out in Garden City, Kansas, KIUL. Welcome to you guys as well. Happy Saturday morning to you. Welcome in. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. I don't want to waste any time because we have so many issues to cover this hour, and they are absolutely nuts with how this session wrapped up. Uh, it was a fun one, interesting one to say the least. Whether they think it was fun or not, uh, we'll ask them. But it was definitely an interesting session as uh, we had a lot of ground that we covered. And like usual, I said this at the Packerham Club yesterday when we spoke, that we... The state of Kansas, we are the trend setters nationwide where we really set the policies on a lot of really important issues, and we do a good job at that, and I, I appreciate all the work that these guys do uh, going into it. So as we do this every year, we try to do our recap with uh, some of the head leaders in both chambers, and uh, lo and behold, for this entire hour, we have Speaker of the House, Mr. Dan Hawkins in studio. Dan, how are you, sir? Great. How you doing, Andy? Doing good. It is great to chat with you, and welcome back in. 
And it's been a little bit since we've had this other guest in, our Senate president, Mr. Ty Masterson. Ty, what's going on, brother? Hey, good morning, Andy. Well, I'm hanging out with you. Hanging out with me. Well, we appreciate that. We love it. You guys, uh, first off, what a session it has been. And what it's always chaos at the very end. I get that. But, man, it seemed like it was chaos from day one with how much you guys tried to cram in. But just real briefly, before we get into each individual topic, uh, let's start with you, Dan. How, how in your mind, how did the session go this year from beginning to end? You know, Andy, I actually think that our session went phenomenal. Um, the Senate and the House really gelled in a lot of ways and worked together to get things done. Uh, I don't think you, you saw, we'll see if Ty agrees, but I don't think you saw this push back and forth from the House to the Senate and the Senate to the House that's happened in the past. And I think a lot of that is because Ty and I work together, actually. We, actually, we actually get together and try <laughs> to figure things out and, and get things done. And, and that's just really a different uh, scenario than what's been in the past. Uh, Ty can talk more about that because this is my first year. And I got to tell you, I think as a first-year speaker, we had a great time. We really did. We did a lot of work. Yeah, you had, a you had a lot of work, and every legislator that I heard, every House member said that the leadership that you brought was phenomenal, that you had things organized, you were cranking through stuff, and they were very appreciative so for what you did. So thank you for that, and especially as the first year. I mean, that's extremely important, having that top-down leadership to kind of guide the party, and uh, between you and even Blake Carpenter as the pro tem, uh, and uh, the whip that you guys had. So and Chris uh, Croft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, have a, so, we have a good uh, leadership team. We really do. Great leadership team. Ty, on the House, or on the Senate side, Man, you guys were just punching stuff out left and right as well. Holy cow. We were, but I'll, I mean, just getting circling back to Dan, leadership does matter. And I got to tell you, uh, part of the reason we were able to go as far as we, because we made it farther on several issues than anybody ever thought we would against, you know, yeah. uh, this particular governor. We knew we were going to be uh, pushing uphill, but just to have, it's the first time I've experienced, you know, I've been in my spot here for two years and then I was in a spot that had a good view of what was happening in leadership prior to that. This is the first session that I've ever seen that it was just clean communication between the House and the Senate, and there wasn't uh, posturing going on between the chambers, right? I mean, it's uh, it's difficult when you get everybody has kind of their own agendas, and you got the the caucus agendas, and so um, there's always this I'm holding this or moving that, and I didn't have we didn't do that at all this year, and that made it smooth for both of us because sure. Dan and I have such a good relationship. We're just it's everything is face value, which is what you need sure. to communicate. Because I tell you what, in the world of politics, almost nothing is face value, right? There's some <laughs> there's something behind it, and so to have Dan behind there, the and we were able agenda. to just literally move. And I think that's why we. We were able to move so much yeah. and so quickly is because we had clean communication and working together between the chambers, which it's, it's I know that's a little wonky for general public, but it mattered a lot. Yeah. Well, you guys had you knew the priorities, what needed to be done. So you knew to focus on certain issues on both sides to come together, get it done in a timely manner on both sides and get it to the governor as quickly as possible. Well, and I think really what started that, if you go back to the first day of session, actually the second day of session, on the first day of session, Ty rolled out to his caucus our Better Way plan, which was a bottom-up plan. Yeah. It was our members' plan. Uh, we rolled it out the second day of session, and then we had a huge press conference where we had close to 80 Senate and House members behind us sure. um, saying, yes, we are for this. We're going to move forward with the Better Way. And if you look at what happened throughout the whole session, our members, and, and I don't get the Senate um, newsletters that they sent out, but my members' newsletters all contained a better way every time in that agenda I love that. that was supported by both sides, both the Senate and the House. 
I think was very instrumental in, in us really being able to move forward. And there's a lot of states that have heard about the better way, and they're they're really pretty jealous that we actually had a Senate and a House yeah. that went out there and had a joint agenda instead of each one of them having their own agenda. It just doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often, and that's important to have that unified voice because obviously being conservative Republicans that we are, having that unified voice in both the leadership uh, is is really amazing. So let's talk about some of the issues that are still kind of floating on right now. The budget, the taxes, the school choice bill. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd laugh because Governor Kelly, again, working across the aisle, not trying to be partisan, wanting to work with you guys. She talked about simplifying the tax code, getting rid of the sales tax on food immediately, wanting to try and simplify on Social Security or property taxes or whatever else. Vetoes the bill at the end of the session. And potentially could be calling you back, you guys back for a special session. So, uh, talk about from both of your guys' standpoints the process of how you guys came to an agreement. Because I know you guys had kind of different tax plans at the beginning, and then what actually got sent to the governor and why she actually vetoed this thing. I would I would say they weren't even all that different between the chambers. It was, you know, we we both had a unified agenda of the single the single rate, you know, simplified single rate on income, getting rid of Social Security, you know, whether that was immediate or over time. Um, those were and going ahead and getting rid of the grocery tax, well, the state's grocery tax. Right. Um, and that was mostly because that was something she was interested in. Our, so the big ticket items, really, we were on the same page. It was just what was the rate. You know, the Senate at one point had passed a 4.75 single. I think the House did 5.25. We ended in this last one at 5.15, but still the, the structure was the most important thing. And for people that don't uh, understand, that that simplified single rate is outside of having no income tax like your Texas, Florida's, Tennessee's. Yep. Having that single rate is the most important thing we could do from a structure standpoint. And so we were unified on that. And so that's what we put together. And I tell you what, even if you and talking about the better way plan that Dan had just mentioned, if we go back and look at that way, we had, I mean, just scores of bills that we passed that we missed on a few big ticket items, but that was because this governor was not in the middle of the road. Because <laughs> if she had been, I mean, then we would have had a few more things done. Yeah. Well, well and one of the things uh, when we're talking about the tax plan, you know, Ty and I had a meeting with the governor almost every week. And it was always about taxes. Every week we would go in and talk about taxes. And every week she would say, I'm not going to do a single rate plan. I mean, she told us from the get-go she wasn't going to do it. And so what we had to do, knowing that, because that was our position, that we were going to have a single rate plan, was to work towards getting override capability, getting 85 on the House side, 27 on the Senate side, that we can actually You just uh, have to plan that her. from the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. In our last meeting, and it was probably right before first adjournment, I believe, uh, she came in again and said, I'm not going to do it. Um, and so we took her word. And she did exactly what she said she was going to do, and she vetoed it. She did wait till the last day to veto it, which was interesting. The first day of veto session is when she actually vetoed that tax plan. <laughs> uh, so we we just amped up. I mean, we were we were focused, literally focused on that. Uh, it didn't happen, it, and and we know why it didn't happen. But w one thing I want to get people focused on yeah. is not the House or the Senate because I, we miss on things too. There's sure. things that we just can't get across our floor. So that's not the issue. The issue is she axed the tax cuts, the tax relief for every single taxpaying Kansan. That's a bad deal for a person that, uh, that, that ran around the state with her 
made for TV acts saying, she, she I'm going to axe one, a tax. She was the one stalking people in grocery stores with absolutely. the axe in her hand. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to axe a tax. Isn't it ironic? It's actually a bizarre twist of political spite that she goes out there and axes the tax relief for every single Kansan. And yeah. that's what they have to know about is what the governor did to them. And it was broad. I mean, it was every single person getting tax relief. I mean, from the, you know, immediately moving the grocery tax up to social, no tax on Social Security right. and even this the single rate plan because it was really – it exempted the first 10000 of all income. So every single person saw tax relief through that plan. Wow. Yep. And yet she vetoed that one. Yeah. Absolutely. And there was no time for you guys to come up with a new bill because I know she said, well, there's a couple days left. There's a day or two left. You guys can re- go back to the drawing board and create an entirely new tax plan. Yeah, and she comes out with a gimmicky deal of I'm going to give $450 to uh, every single rate or single taxpayer and and uh, uh, married filing jointly get $800. Yeah. Well, that was an 800, what, $820 million dollar, yeah. spend. We had a truly sustainable, responsible tax plan under $500 million that would give tax relief for years and years and years. And she's going to go out and spend $800 million. That's just nothing more than politics. That's just political gimmick. It's that a she one-time was gimmick to try to buy a vote. Well, yeah. that's the thing. I don't understand the concept of a one-time stimulus, quote-unquote, I use for the air quotes here for the radio listeners. I don't understand the concept of a one-time stimulus payment. When we're in a position right now with a $2 billion surplus, this is the time to cut the taxes, see the hit on the tax revenue coming into the government temporarily, allow the economy to grow in the private sector, and by the time when we run out or we get short or something happens, then we're in a better position with more workers, more businesses, and more tax revenue coming in. Right. But they don't think And it was completely sustainable, and I'm one that we should, the, the, the government shouldn't maintain these high cash balances because if you're maintaining high cash balances, you've taken too much from the people. Right. Right. The only caveat to that is all that federal printed stimulus money that came through has created a false, a falseness. So there will be a cliff here in the, in the near future um, that we would need to smooth out a little bit. But other than that, there needs to be tax relief. There's got to be tax relief. Let's take a break here real quick. When we come back, I want to can, uh, kind of wrap up the tax budget. We'll talk real quickly about school funding, the school choice bill, where that was at as you guys wrapped up. But also, that kind of ties into this as well, the ESG bills that you guys worked on, which, again, kind of leading the charge on that because that's a huge issue in the state. And I am so glad that you guys are addressing that one. So we'll touch on that when we come back. So many other issues we'll get to as well. We had the Second Amendment issues, the Women's Sports Bill, the Women's Bill of Rights, the Abortion Issues, the Born Alive Bill. <laughs> we'll get to that and more as well. If you want to call in and ask a question, you're more than welcome to as well. 316-721-8255. It's Kansas Talk on KQAM. Stay here. Back into the program here, 22 minutes past the hour as we roll through a Saturday morning here on Kansas Talk. We're hanging out with Speaker of the House, Dan Hawkins, on the state legislature, Senate President Ty Masterson in studio with us as well. As we kind of wrap up the budgetary, I know I'm a dork. I like going right to budgets and taxes because that's just what I do. But real quickly, as we kind of wrap up that conversation, the other issue includes school funding, which she has not yet signed or vetoed. So we're kind of lingering in the balance here on what's going to happen with the school funding bill. She wanted more money in special education. Uh, Dan, I saw an interview. You said that we're already funding it constitutionally to where we need to be. Uh, But they don't like the fact that there are some school voucher content in there. 
However, while some of these school advocates are saying that uh, you need to, she needs to veto this bill, uh, they're also warning that if she calls you back to a new legis- or a special session, you could push the envelope a little bit further. So she's kind of in a quandary right now. Well, not only that. So this is all being ginned up by the education lobby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we say that we have constitutionally funded education, it is absolutely correct. They can't. They cannot get us on not being constitutional. Now she wanted seventy-two million extra for the special education funding, and she had a way to get that, but she didn't. She wasn't going to do that. And right. that was we had actual. We did actually have a school choice plan out there. We worked. Ty and I had. We started working on this back in August. Yeah. We could not get our members there. We just couldn't get our members to a point where we could get it done. Um. So we we slip back to a point to where we constitutionally funded but here's here's where people believe what's in the media and it's wrong the media or the the media has been playing off of these education lobbyists and there's one woman especially that's saying that this educational funding bill has vouchers it doesn't mm-hmm. it has the same exact tax credit <laughs> system that's been in there for what Five years, six yeah, years? Yeah, and it's for low-income. It's a low-income tax credit. It has nothing to do with vouchers. That's But that's funny. what they're trying to they don't. Yeah. They are afraid of any form of school choice. Yeah. That the education lobby, I mean any form of it, even the most modest thing for the most challenged kid, they won't They won't have it. And that whole special ed uh, dollars piece, that's a, that's a also um, a misconception in general. But they're saying, well, you short-funded it, you know, $72 million. Well, when you analyzed it, there were actually 150-some schools that were overfunded on special ed. There's there's complications with the formula. I mean, in my own district alone, so uh, Andover was a, a little under its 92%, but Augusta was over its 92%. So, But Augusta doesn't want to hear that I want to take money away from them and send it to Andover. Right. right? So there's, there's complexity to yeah. it. But the underlying bill that's in, in the works – has increases in, ed, in even special ed funding that complied with the Gannon decision of three years ago. There's it is completely in compliance, and that's and I'm not one that I don't believe the court has the power to even say that, right? Because I think the legislature decides what what proper funding is. But even given that, the court has already said what that it complies. What we did complies. Sure. So so what that uh, what that tax credit piece for for low income children is. All we did, this is what's amazing. They say it's vouchers. It's not vouchers. It's been in there for a long time. It raises the tax credit from 70 to 75%, and it raises the eligibility for the child from 175% of poverty level, federal poverty level, to mm-hmm. 250%. Guess what CHIPS is, the, Ch- the Children's Health Insurance Program? Right. 250%. <laughs> so that's what we did was we raised it to be equal where, where you know, we say – Chips is, right. and so it's con- it's, it's congruent. Uh, everything works out. It's, it's the way it should be. But they hate it so bad, they hate anything that's going to do something for somebody and give them a leg up in, in their educational choice. And and so they came out and said, oh, this is vouchers. It's not. Yeah, they are desperate to it, it not is. lose it's their power. The, the state of paranoia, it yeah. sounds like, from there. Yeah. It's So with the school choice bill that we actually did, it obviously didn't make it. Is that another agenda that we can bring back next year and try it all over again? And do you think that we could have the numbers by that time to override a governor's veto? We'll probably never get the We'll need another election cycle to do yes, that. I mean, because even in our own chambers, we have just a handful – 
of Republicans and predominantly rurally, which I don't understand. I think that see it doesn't apply to them in some way. But mm-hmm. we right now do not have the numbers to supermajority over. That's why yeah. that goes back to why a Republican governor was so important, right? I mean, yeah. all this stuff would have been concluded, you know, It'll if we just done. had a Republican. It would have been done. But. On our first vote, we in the House, we got sixty three. And on the when it came back on the conference committee report, we got sixty five. I think you guys got twenty two or twenty three. I had twenty three, but I had a couple missing, so I would yeah, I would call it out of twenty five. Yeah. But we need to get to twenty seven, yeah. and, and I've keep... got those last few. That edge is just so hard for us going those. twenty more impossible. We just but I don't think there. she vetoes this education bill. By I the don't way, either. I think the really? only no, not at all. I think the closest she'll get to that, she may because she pushes boundaries. She may attempt to call it a budget bill and try to line item some things, but then we'll have a legal challenge on that because she does have line item authority on only monetary appropriation and that tax credit's not a monetary appropriation. Well, and there's a couple other, there's the, the Tim Tebow deal in there. Yeah, and that's uh, policy she that's can't. That's all policy. She cannot line item policy. Now, she may push the envelope and like Ty said, we'll go to court. Right. Uh, we'll just sue her if she does that. Interesting. Real quickly, we got just about, well, we'll tease this one as we go into the break here, but uh, the ESG issue as well. I know is huge, and, and that goes into the, how you guys end up spending money, investing money from the state level. We talked to uh, State Treasurer uh, Stephen Johnson on this issue. First off, thank you for addressing this issue because I I relate this to our version of a social credit score at the federal level, how businesses are going to be allowed to operate, and the fact that we're on the forefront trying to battle this one as well. She didn't veto it, but she just kind of let it go without her signature, showing that uh, she didn't want to fight and die on that hill, but didn't really want to make it public either so well, uh, she, in just about a minute here your thoughts on this, this is, issue this is uh, another one of those pure politics deals she knows yeah she knows that if she vetoed that she would face the wrath because that's a that's a deal that actually crosses party lines yeah it's not just all republican there's party lines out there that you know there's democrats out there that will also support that uh, again our folks our folks worked so hard on that all year long on both the senate and the house side yeah they came to an agreement and actually, we did a comparison between our bill and Florida. We compare really good with Florida. <laughs> and everybody says Florida's got a great bill. Look at our bill. We got a great bill. We got a we, good one. Really cool. Do. We'll wrap up this uh, this half hour. We've got to take a hard break here for the news. When we come back, we'll uh, shift gears. I want to talk about some of the big victories you guys had this year, the women's sports bill, the women's bill of rights, some of these other, and some weird ones that Governor Kelly vetoed that I'm not quite sure <laughs> why. Because she's so moderate working across the aisle, of course, I know that reason. So we'll do some of that when we come back, wrapping up the last half hour on the home stretch here for Kansas Talk here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. show at 316-721-8255. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Darn right it is. Welcome back into it on the home stretch, baby. The last half hour of the program here on Kansas Talk, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Also, our friends out in KIUL in Garden City, Kansas, getting statewide coverage the entire southern half of the state right now. As we talk about these issues with Speaker of the House, Dan Hawkins, Senate President Ty Masterson, so many issues uh, to get into, it's it's been a crazy one. We're going to try and rapid fire through a lot of these issues as we have 
so little time. We could do four hours on these issues and talk in depth with a lot of this stuff. But let's talk about some of the major successes you guys had this year when it came to uh, the Women's Bill of Rights, the Women's Sports Bill, because you tried that last session, didn't quite work. This year, finally made it happen. How was that process? Let's say, Because I think Renee Erickson uh, kind of ran with that, yeah, didn't we, she? Yeah, and we came out early with it, yeah. knowing that was something. Well, for the Senate, it was a third year in the row. Yeah. Right, that we put it out. So, we, so Dan started on the House side knowing we had our votes. We had already lost two years. Ago. Yeah, two we, years We couldn't row. get it. Couldn't but get it, we yeah. had an election last, last That's year. That's right. And that changed, <laughs> Elections the, matter. that changed the equation for us on, on fairness in women's sports. And so for us, yeah. it was clean. We passed it, you know, like I say, three years running. So we knew we had it. So once Dan was over the hump. And we sent that to her early. So that was the first veto she made and the first one we overrode. Sure. So it was uh, – I mean, that – Again, it's one of those issues where I don't even understand the logic on the opposite side of it. Uh, Women's Bill of Rights was a huge, you know, we're the first state in the union to define a woman, right? Um, by, and, which, and because have to do 250 that. years, yeah. you didn't have to do that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because everybody understood it, right? Since we've been a country, everybody knows what a woman and a man is. And now we're having to define it. Um, the, cult, the culture war is an area where we were able to, well, because that's it's nonpartisan. And it's a heavy majority of people that understand those issues. Yeah. Yeah, I was asked the other day about that. Why did you spend so much time on fairness in women's sports in the Women's Bill of Rights? And I said, I said, truly because our people, this is a this is not just a grassroots thing. This is people across the spectrum out there. Nobody well, I shouldn't say nobody. Laura Kelly's one of them that uh, certainly can't see it. But <laughs> most people She's good, confused about her she gender, is maybe. Very That's... confused. So most uh, most people um, look at that issue, especially the fairness in women's sports, and say, how can it be right for a biological male to be able to compete against female? And, and we spent 50 years trying to get Title IX to the point where it is. I mean, Title right. IX has really worked. And women truly have uh, a fair shake uh, at sports until now. Well, we're all – I don't know. This is the one instance where we don't seem to consider – fairness right it's it's the same logic stream that's why we have varsity or junior varsity or you wrestle at 220 or 105 because you're trying to create fairness in the competition and this is the one exception right where that doesn't seem to apply it's an all-out assault on women it's weird well and the fact that the biden administration even tried to change title nine to include some of this literally goes against the entire purpose of what title nine was actually for no that's correct you got so so we're fighting on two fronts we're fighting we're fighting to get legislation passed and then you have uh, the president of the United States come in through executive <laughs> action and try to change Title IX, which is just absolutely wrong, which that's not going to work. It won't work. Um, but for us, that fairness in women's sports was truly the first salvo on all of the vetoes that we went after. You realize, this is a little off of your topic, but we had she had 30 at that time, 30 vetoes. Now we have 32, may have a couple more line items. Sure, uh, She'll be the most vetoing governor you have to go back before what uh joan finney i can't remember the guy the it was a man way back when had like 56 yeah like early Um, 1900s right yeah Yeah. so in 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 our in our lifetime she's vetoed more bills than any other any other governor in our life but she told us she didn't like to veto issues and she's not a veto governor she She also told us she's in the middle of the road (laughs) right and and half these vetoes i mean are radical vetoes that even shocked me yeah yeah. i thought there was a couple of vetoes i mean i know you have it on your agenda to get to but like the born alive bill i mean just i was just floored i mean who would who would be okay 
with it being okay to put the baby on the countertop and just let it die. I mean, I, without having medical attention, I just don't end a veto. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned because that's for the next direction I wanted to go was the born alive bill, where you guys had major success in this. The fact that we had to identify and and describe what a gender was to individuals and actually define it blows my mind. But then we have this bill with the born alive. And for those that don't know what it was, it didn't ban abortion, doesn't do anything regarding that. It says if someone performs an abortion and the child comes out and is still alive, that you actually treat that as a human being and you try to save it instead of just setting it on the table and killing it. And she vetoed that. And isn't that murder? I would think so. Think if it's, it's a living, murder. breathing human being, yes. then you would think that would be considered murder yeah, at that point. They always talk about the fetus as a bunch of mush. This is a baby that's alive, breathing, heart beating, laying there, and you're just going to set it there and let it die. How can anybody, including our governor, think that that's right? That's a, so, so people don't realize that the Kelly Tolan administration is truly a radical administration, one that we have to continually push back against. Yeah, it's uh, no different than a guy coming in out, out in an ER, a car wreck or something, major trauma that's gone through a lot of trauma, and they come in still alive. It'd be like saying, "Eh, nope, we're just gonna let you sit over." We're there just gonna set you, let you suffer and just sit over there and actually do that. It's almost like the death squad that we talked about during Obamacare and the, the whole beginning of death squads of you know, are you worthy of treatment or not? This is the mindset. That's weird. And now, you guys overrode that veto as well, correct? Yeah, we did. And, we did. and another one that just clarified the definitions of abortion, because a lot of the uh, stuff that was going around the media, you know, back last August about, you know, you would, you know, a tubal pregnancy, right? That's that's not an abortion. And we were just clarifying definitions to make sure that people understood definitions. She vetoed yeah. that, too, mm-hmm. to make sure it wasn't clear. That's insane. That was actually a proviso, wasn't it? I believe in the budget. And we overrode that. Yep. Get a little bit closer to that mic I there, believe. Dan. That's there oh, sorry go. about oh, that. I, I, I think that I, I believe that was a proviso in the budget, wasn't it? The abortion piece? definitions we did do in a bill. It was in, I think I have it on my list here, 2264, had the, and the telemed stuff on telemed. information on tel- telemed and abortion definitions, yeah. which was an override we did. Right. She vetoed the bill we overrode. Right. Okay, so right. you did get the telemedicine yep. stuff as well, because yes. I know that was a big issue. Yeah. Yep. Man, the uh, the abortion activists, I guess, are losing their minds. Over you. And you guys didn't even ban abortion. It's just putting actual... They like to regulate everything in the world except for this issue for some reason. We it's, really wanted to focus on life. If you if yeah. you look at what we did, and that's the reason why it's really kind of hard for Ty and I and our bodies to understand what the governor's doing because she's vetoing everything that has to do with with uh, pregnancy crisis centers. I think we yeah. had three different items with the, that dealt with pregnancy crisis. She vetoed centers. a bill that had tax credits to help with pregnancy crisis. She line item vetoed out of the budget <laughs> dollars that were helping with pregnancy crisis, right? That are helping women right. that are pregnant and in crisis. I mean, and she vetoed those. Wow. Yeah. Man. It just, those, those things make no sense to us because so, so, so we know she is a, um, an abortion governor. She loves abortion. This is an abortion. This is life. These are these are life things, not abortion things, but she equates them with it, so right. she just vetoes. They're very simple-minded individuals on yes. the other side. It's like watching a zoo. They uh, they always think in a very simple little manner. Another issue that uh, she's vetoed it numerous times, and I don't know why, because it has nothing to do with education, quote unquote, at all. But the Eddie Eagle program. Yeah. I mean, it is not training children how to use firearms, and I don't know why she continues to veto this issue. She's trying. It's training them how to be safe around them, right? And not I mean, touch that's, it. Yeah. yeah. Don't right. touch. Don't touch it. Go tell an adult, and she vetoes that. That's so, insane. So that's a that well, it's just it goes along with everything else she vetoes. It makes no sense. I mean, she says she's an education the education governor. Well, this is really a simple educational piece 
to make sure our young children learn to be careful and to and to be safe and not to touch guns and to learn about that. Yeah. Well, she doesn't want them to learn about it either. Yeah. So it's just it, well, you guys did move forward no with sense. some great uh, Second Amendment issues as well with getting rid of some licensing and, and other mm-hmm. issues. So uh, you guys always move that notch a little bit further when it comes to gun rights, and I appreciate that as well. Um, regarding social issues, the women's, I mean, you guys had some major accomplishments, obviously, the Women's Bill of Rights, the, the Women's Sports Bill. I got to ask you, because I get questions and calls on it all the time about the marijuana and the other social issue. We had three different bills that co- popped up that would have essentially decriminalized or allowed it on the medical front. We had the Veterans Bill, and we had the ability to grow it for medical dispensaries in some way, shape, or form. Um, it didn't go anywhere. I have been saying on the show that I think it's an issue we need to really start addressing with Colorado, Oklahoma, and Missouri all essentially being recreational, that I think this needs to start being more of a priority. But where'd we end up, and can we finally get something done next year in some way, shape, or form? Well, that's, you know, that's, that was dealt with on our side this, this year. And honestly, the, what's going on in Oklahoma completely destroyed the argument in Kansas, right? And then, you know, and you know they put down recreational, right? They, yeah, yeah. And so, Their medical's loosey-goosey enough it's almost recreational. For all intents and purposes, it is. <laughs> and that, that's kind of been the problem, you know, the increase in kids with toxicity and stuff like that. The What I had said, because the Senate is – not quite ready for that. I think the the broader membership, and so I'd put the federal state affairs committee where it was basically fifty fifty. I put a committee together that had fifty that were pro medical and fifty that were not, mm-hmm. and wanted and they had real hearings on different bills, and what happened and what ended up happening was two people that were on the uh, pro side actually flipped their votes in that committee and tabled it, it, it. Tabled and it was because I'm telling you, it was really around the testimony of a DEA guy down in Oklahoma that they're. They're 98% overgrown. 2% of their growth supplies every medical card. Sure. And so they're, and so they're you know, and they're running into the, you know, Colombian and Russian and Chinese gangs and land being bought with cash and things. And, and, I, and that's not how it's going to be. It would be in Kansas, right? But right. I think Kansas potentially uh, would have an opening door for, you know, palliative care and, uh, you know, medical in a limited way, you know, we're. We need we need some research on dosage and and do te- you know proper testing. I think there's a vein, but right now it did it didn't make it this year. Didn't make it this year. There is a concern, I think, like you said, with some of the land, which I know was more of an issue agriculturally with China coming in and buying up agricultural land. But if they're buying up land for cartels or other places as well with cash, that's something that I think needs to be structurally done before we move forward with the issue as well. Uh, I do think, however, if we do end up going this way, if and if you do it right like that, would it help curb the illegal drugs that come in or even be able to fight against fentanyl because we know exactly where it's coming from as opposed to having fentanyl-laced drugs that are on our streets as well? Well, I think I think from Ty and I's point of view, and I, I'm, I'm uh, very cognizant of his situation, and I think the next election will change things in both of our bodies again. Sure. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but, but I do think that what Kansas does when it comes to medical marijuana will be much different than what any other state's doing. I think that we will at some point find a solution and when we do, I think it'll pass. It's just right now we haven't got to that solution. And when we do, but the, 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 going to the land issue, we did have a bill, um, I don't think that was on your side. That's on our side. The the land bill. Yeah, for, for, the Ford, prohibiting yeah. Foreign, foreign ownership. And, yeah. and what we had happen was is all of our ag um, groups locked up on it. 
Uh, they didn't agree with it. And so this next year, we're going to have to go back and retool and, and bring them in and find out what it's going to take to get them on board. So when you got the Farm Bureau, KLA, the Cattlemen's Association, all of ag, uh, even even some of the, the grain, uh, uh, grain and feed type sure. associations, all of them just kind of locked up on that land issue. And so we're going to have to retool, but we've got to get that done. That's an important issue. We just can't have yeah. these groups coming in and buying up land. So That is a major issue for sure. I love that. At least we're moving forward, but it's it's kind of behind the scenes and continuously working. So I'm glad that. Let's take a break here real quick. When we come back, we got one more segment. We have a caller we'll try and sneak into as well. But I want to talk about, as we wrap up here, um, kind of the recap of the entire session, some of the stuff ongoing right now, including COVID-19 lawsuits that are dealing and uh, how the governor's handling those issues as well and how we move forward. It's Speaker of the House, Dan Hawkins, Senate President, Ty Masterson. One more segment left with these guys wrapping up session 2023 in the state of Kansas right here on KQAM. Stay here. Brother Bellas in the back, sweet singers in the front, cruising down the freeway in the hot, hot sun. Suddenly we're blue lights, flash us from behind. Welcome back into it. Eight minutes at the top of the hour here. Boy, the show flies right on by. Just a few minutes left as we wrap up the weekend with Michael Brown based out of Denver, Colorado. He'll be up next here on KQAM just around the corner in just a few minutes. Let's wrap up this conversation of the session this year. And a shout out to certain individuals and uh, some of the hard work. Obviously, you guys, like you said, the the leadership was amazing this year. What you guys did, how you worked together. And like you said, I I see the rift going on in the Oklahoma legislature where the Senate and the House do not get along. They have their own ideas and they're hard line to their ideas. But how you guys communicate and work uh, has been commendable and, um, and amazing. So thank you for that, because that's taken us so much further. Here's the quick question. Did we break our record for the number of veto overrides this year? Yes, we did. did. Yeah. So we (laughs) We had, I mentioned it earlier, we had we have 32 now, but at that time we had 30 bills that, well, 15 bills and 15 uh, line item vetoes. Uh, so a total of 30. Uh, the House passed 13. We only took a shot at 19 of them total because there's some we just knew we couldn't do. Right. We didn't have the votes. And so the ones that start on the Senate, the ones that start on the House, we just go to work. We worked that one, uh, I guess that was on Wednesday, wasn't it? We did 11 overrides in one day in the house wow. and then the next day we did another one of course we had the fairness women's sports so we had 13 total we got 11 of them become <laughs> law long story short record number of vetoes record number of overrides yes wish we could have got a couple more that's right <laughs> we both have ones that we wish we could have yep. got that's that we, right so there close was, yeah, so there close. was some that we couldn't get and there was some that the senate couldn't get so it's that's just the way it goes yeah well of course yeah. but no it was a it was a big session because i think more bills were passed this year as well with what you guys did than any other and then of course uh, having to work the double extra, just knowing that you're going to have to have that certain threshold to override those vetoes. But outside of the leadership as well, you know, some some notable mentions this year with even on the other side of the aisle showing the drift in the Democrat Party right now. Uh, Marvin Johnson, this guy working with you guys on a lot of different issues and getting so much heat for it. We got to commend this guy. Yeah. And, and a lot of people really, uh, of course, there's so much out there in the media and people believe what's in the media. They need to they need to stop and, and think for themselves. Uh, Marvin Robinson's a Democrat, and he is—he's been a Democrat all of his life, but he's a conservative Democrat. Those mm. are few and far between today. Yeah, and and literally, uh, he believes 
in much of the stuff that we overrode uh, when it comes to vetoes, those were core beliefs of his district. He truly, I, and I think Ty has talked to him too, he will tell you his district supports him. The Democrat Party there in, in Topeka, they're, they losing their, they're losing their mind because they're not used to having somebody that doesn't stay in lockstep with them. Yeah. We're used to that. We have Republicans all the time that don't vote with us. So we don't beat him up, but they just beat the heck out of him for not staying That's with That's exactly them. what he told me, too. He said, I don't, he goes, I don't understand why they're so angry. I'm just voting with my district. Right. And I don't know. It seems crazy to me that they don't understand that you can have an inner city district like that that is not okay with some of what they're doing on that, on the whole woke culture and life. I mean, he just, it's, uh, do you think that, uh, do you think that he'll stay as a go independent, uh, or anything? No, no, he needs to stay as a Democrat. That, that district's heavily democratic. And he is, I mean, you don't, you used to see those, sure. what they call blue dogs, you know, the, um, they'd be conservative maybe on social issues, but right. you know, with labor and things on others. And, and you saw that my grandmother was one, one of the women that got me into politics was a blue dog Democrat, but, uh, you just, they've wiped them out of their party. Yeah, they really have. We got just about a minute left here, but I want to ask one more issue: uh, is the business lawsuits going on with COVID nineteen? Uh, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly uh, not allowing some of the money to go into helping out some of the business, which is weird. Like I, I know why is because they don't want that record showing that they made a mistake during COVID, so they can do it again if God forbid it happens. But uh, there's some ongoing conversation right well, now. Basically, what just happened this week, and Dan and I are involved in it because we're part of what's called State Finance Council. When you're out of session, you have a it's the council that has the governor that. Of the head of it, and then it's the three top Republican leaders of each chamber and the minority. Then so on each side, and we heard um, a tort claim right where there was a, a gym here in Wichita, a fitness gym yep. that uh, she had closed down right because he was not essential, and he had gotten to the extra level to uh, litigate it. And our attorney general's office had recommended we settle with him, and it was actually a small settlement. I mean, it was just for his rent. Right. And so when we come out, we Dan and I, matter of fact, I made the motion and Dan seconded to pay pay this claim. And in this situation, the governor can can override that and veto she vetoed the ability for him to just even reclaim his rent so the very very person and administration that shut him down and caused the damage vetoed his ability to have any recovery uh, on that loss and his and his loss was much higher than what just his rent was wow and and to add to that this is the first time since i've been on state finance council that we have not approved a tort claim And, and so, and of, so course. of course, you have to think, why did the governor do that? Well, the governor did it. This is just raw politics. Yeah. This is her saying, I did this. I'm not going to let this person collect because I shut him down, and he's yeah. not going to get anything now. That's crazy because the only time it reaches that level, any type of claim reaches that level, right. it's because the settlement has become so workable that it would be more expensive for the state right. to continue in litigation. So she's literally – obligating us to more cost more to stop money. the person that had lost from an action she took. And she we took. have been told that this uh, this group will continue to litigate. They're going to go they on better. to the, the district court, and if they don't win, they're going to go to the appellate court. Yep. We will wrap up $100,000 in claims versus a small claim for rent. A small claim for that. It's amazing. That's it. We're out of time, my friends. We could do this for another four hours here. It's Dan Hawkins, Speaker of the House, Ty Masterson, Senate President. Thank you guys for what you did this session. What a great session it was. Thank you for coming in studio. You guys are always great friends. We appreciate it. Let's do it again soon, guys. Keep it up, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Oh, it's a pleasure. That does it for us today. Back at it next Saturday again for Candace Talk. Until then, everybody have a wonderful weekend here on KQAM.